I'm David Smith, and you're listening to the Faith in Teaching podcast from the Kaiser Institute for Christian Teaching and Learning at Calvin University. In this series, we'll be talking with researchers and educators who are working to understand how Christian faith affects teaching, learning, and the way we do education. My guest today is Professor Michael Watson, who is a political science professor at Calvin University and also a director of the Henry Institute, uh, which focuses on the connection between faith and political science. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Micah. Thanks for having me, David. Um, one big reason why you're here on the podcast is that you were a player in uh, a curriculum project that uh, we've been working on uh, over the last few years uh, in the area of civics education. Uh, the website's at civichospitality.com, and it's resources for, for K-12 schools, teaching, civics, civic engagement, social studies. Uh, it's pretty obvious why the Kyers Institute would invest in a curriculum project. That's what we do all the time. Uh, the Henry Institute has not played so much in that kind of area. You've been more kind of big questions about political engagement, faith and politics, and so on. Why would the Henry Institute get involved in a K-12 curriculum project? Yeah, great question. So when we look at how universities and colleges are mapped out and separated into the different divisions um, and departments, you would think education and political science would be pretty distinct. Um, but as soon as you look a little more closely, you'll find that, uh, you can talk more about this, but educators, I think, would be running up into political questions all the time. And in political science, and particularly in political thought, um, the question of education comes up almost immediately. So even the great, um, some of the great texts from Plato's Republic to uh, Rousseau's Emile to John Locke's Thoughts on Education are often dealing with education. And that's in part because political societies don't aspire to be snapshots, but films that have a past that we draw on, a, uh, a present, and a future. And that future is inherently tied up with how we raise the next generation of citizens. Um, so that connection uh, between education and curricula and politics is quite tightly woven, um, and so it is a natural fit. We were delighted to be able to partner with Kyers uh, as we think about our current state of both Christian education as well as this education uh, in, in this country and, and education in other countries as well. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a very nice fit. I love that image of the, the snapshot in the film. Um, what's your sense of where the film's headed? Like, why, why is this a timely moment to step into the plot? Well, usually when you start watching a film or a TV show, uh, even if you're not familiar with where it came from, you can catch up pretty quickly on who the main characters are, perhaps what's happened in the past, what kind, what genre the film or TV show is. Uh, is this a mystery? Is this a detective show? Is this a love story? Um, and we might think of our current moment as rather confusing. It would take us quite some time, and there might even be several different um, plots going on and characters we're not sure of. So I think most... Most, um, most Christians have a sense that things feel quite confused. And it's not to say there ever was a golden age where everything was, was set and, and, and we knew our roles. Um, but in this country in particular, as we have moved from being a predominantly sociologically Christian, uh, first Protestant and then Protestant and Catholic, and then in the 1950s, a uh, famous book called Protestant Catholic Jew, um, that, that tradition of two or three religious identities has exploded into a kaleidoscope of identities. And so the stories we tell are different. And so the, go back to the movie metaphor, when we look at the future, we are trying to figure out what it looks like for us to live together in shared communities when the old categories have been multiplied. 
So uh, bottom line is you step outside your house, you're not going to meet people who are just like you all the time anymore, if that was ever the case, but even more so right now. So you need some skills for dealing with that. Absolutely. And th those skills, um, we think, need to start earlier than, than adulthood. Yeah. So hospitality was the metaphor that we worked with for this project, right, as a way of um, preparing students to deal with living with differences, uh, interacting with people who don't share your beliefs, don't share your politics, don't share your identity. Um, why, why hospitality and what might that be helping with? Well, I think one of the things that was a great um, experience for us working on the project was, was bringing in the theological resources that we had from our Christian faith and that we look at the story of what God is doing throughout scripture, throughout history, as he invites us to be part of the story that he is telling. We don't get to see everything from you know behind the curtain as to what he's doing, but we are invited to play a role there, and he makes space for us. Um, and you know, in the very act of creation and in the incarnation, um, God uh, makes room for us in the story. And so there's a, there's a nice Christian story to tell there as well. And then with regard to the particular tradition of, of this country, um, there is in American history a, uh, an emphasis on, on hospitality. The Statue of Liberty stands, you know, come ye uh, masses, and, and there's, a, there's a, um, a priority on welcoming that sits side by side with a, a less uh, palatable, less uh, salutary tradition, which is very much um, talking about insiders and outsiders, and they've both been part of our tradition. Um, so we, I think, rightly focused on both the, the Christian resources in terms of hospitality, and also what it looks like for a country that is, that is creedal rather than based on every American needing to be a certain ethnicity or a certain, speaking a certain language or coming from a certain background. We don't practice that well uh, or as well as we could, but that at least is the theory that any person could come and be an American in a way that would be quite difficult um, with some other countries. One of, the, one of the themes that, that came out in one of the lessons that was designed in the resource was, was about what happens when we start using language about other people that makes them sound less than human. Right. And um, one of the themes that within the team, and we're going to be talking to other members of the team in future episodes and some different aspects of this project, uh, but something that I appreciated that you brought into the team and helped us reflect on was this question of what is a human being? And it was a pretty fundamental question for education. Uh, and strikes me as a teacher. I can't teach if I don't have some idea of what kind of creature I have sitting in front of me in the classroom. Right? And there's been a lot of different views of that. And, and you sort of brought in this sense that uh, we need an account of what human beings are if we're to know how to interact with other human beings in public as well. So not just the classroom, but but the public sphere. So so talk a little about that, about the, the thoughts you were bringing about why our anthropology matters for how we think about our political engagement. Yeah, no, it's a great it's a great question, and it really gets into this um, the nitty gritty of of what it means to live together and to live well, and also to to try and be hospitable in understanding how others might see human beings. So, as Christians, we have um, some resources in Scripture and in the traditions of of the Church that describe what human beings are and and why we matter and what our responsibilities are with regards to the creation and things like that. We know we believe we are made in God's image. Uh, that has important ramifications for, for how we treat each other. Um, we know that we have an internal way of speaking about that, um, but we also know that, uh, that, that God has, has not left those who aren't Christians without any resources. Right? Those, who are, those who don't recognize God or the Trinity as, as, as we do still are made in his image. 
um, still uh, exercise their reason, still relate to others, and we can agree on some things about what it means to be human that are that are quite important. There still will be important differences, and we don't want to minimize those. But if we think about what it means to be human, God has given all of us uh, a, the capacity to reason. And as as Reformed Christians here at Calvin, we will hasten to add it is impacted by the reality of the fall and sin. We see through a glass darkly, as Paul says, but yet we still see see something. And so can our, our, our non-Christian neighbors. So human beings, uh, we are relational creatures. We'll find this in the opening of Genesis. It is not good for, for human beings to be alone. We'll also find this in Aristotle, who says that we're uh, political or social creatures. Um, we are reasoning creatures. We give reasons about what how to live, what's right and wrong. If we look around and, and ask people why you're doing what they're doing, people don't just say just because. Well, sometimes they do, but often they'll give reasons. Um, and, and they'll act as if the reasons they give are accessible to us, even, a, even across divisions of, of religion or other identities. We're also affective uh, creatures. And what I mean by that, uh, to borrow from our colleague Jamie Smith in the philosophy department, we're not just brains on a stick. We're not just reasoning creatures. We also have feelings and emotions, and those matter. Um, those are important. And any approach to what it looks like to live together or to, to, to teach, uh, to do education or to do politics that leaves out our relationality um, our capacity to reason, and the importance of our emotions and our feelings is going to miss something really important about what it means to be human. That, that's all pretty, pretty relevant to teaching. I mean, if, we think, if, if you think of us just as reasoning beings, then all we really need to do in curricular terms is explain the right answer to students clearly enough, and they'll get it, and right. then they can explain it to other people, and given enough time, we can convert everybody tidily, and, and <laughs> it'll all work, right? Just program, um, right? Yeah, but... Uh, if, if, if our thinking is embedded in our relationships and our feelings, then it gets more complicated, both in terms of how the world works and in terms of how we teach, uh, because students aren't just processing information. So um, talk a little bit more about how that plays out in terms of, I mean, people talk a lot about polarization, tribalization, our current moment in time being one where it seems to be difficult for us to relate to other human beings as if they were rational, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so... I, Talk more about how this applies to us navigating that setting. So our, our, uh, our team member and, and colleague, Kevin Dendolk, um, has written about this, and, and political scientists and other social scientists will talk about affective polarization. Um, and this is a little bit different from just the old partisanship. So we've had, we've had partisan politics in this country for quite some time, and, and for some people who think that uh, this is un, unprecedented, we need to be reminded that our... Um, our first Treasury Secretary was shot and killed by a sitting vice president, and they made a play about it. Right? So this goes back some time. It's, it's not as if it's new. However, we can measure um, some questions about how polarized people feel. And to give a, you know, just an example of this, it might have been 50 years ago um, that you'd have some, some hostility or some rivalry between Republicans and Democrats, but you'd, you'd find them in the same family. Uh, and you would sit around, and you'd find them at the Thanksgiving dinner table. What's, what's changed about today is you still will find those differences, but there's almost a sense of, I can't believe this person believes that. I, don't, I can't imagine wanting to spend Thanksgiving with them. I don't want to go to their wedding, right? The, the level of animosity has risen to such a pitch um, that it's hard for us to, to, to even recognize that value or dignity or imago day in another person. And that's on, on both the left and the right. People will increasingly... Um, retreating into their silos and then feeding their silos by their choices of what they let in through social media um, and, and, and curating 
their feed, if you like, just to reinforce that. And over time, that leads it to become easier and easier to dehumanize those who disagree with you. So uh, you teach political science as you have students come into your classroom who are living in this kind of environment. How, how do you try to address this? Well, so one of the, this will sound like a Calvin commercial in some ways, but one of the reasons I was drawn to Calvin is because unlike some schools that might be a little bit more progressive or a little more conservative, uh, we have a range of, of views and dispositions here among faculty, staff, and students. And so we will get students, I'll have students that are, that are very progressive and they've never actually talked to a Trump voter. And same thing with, with some, some Trump voters. And so what we do in class um, is we will, we will, I will try to get at it from a little bit of a side angle um, and we'll read some, some voices that will give opinions that um, aren't as easily slotted into this or that category. Um, so uh, for a quick example, pr President Obama had some, it, some things to say about culture and, and, and music and dress that if you didn't know it was him saying it, it would sound like it was coming from the Family Research Council. Um, now, we can agree or disagree with the content of what he says, but when students just see the words and then see it's President Obama saying that, it upsets the apple cart of their expectations. Uh, so we try and read and talk about those things, and then as, as we get more comfortable with each other as a class, as the community builds within the, the class, if it goes well, and it doesn't always, um, then we try and do that with each other a little bit. Yeah. Um, how do you go about that community building over time? I have done a few exercises. Um, I've learned from some colleagues about some good things to do on the first day of class even with breaking students into groups and, and learning to introduce each other on a very small scale and then building up to the larger scale. Um, students will interact with me personally with some of the things they write, which is a little safer for them than having to throw out an opinion for the entire class. And then we will do, depending on the class, uh, we'll do some exercises in which students will um, for, for example, in one of my constitutional law, uh, constitution classes, students will break up into one of three groups, uh, one conservative-leaning, one liberal-leaning, one moderate-leaning, with a proposal for a new constitution uh, for our country, but knowing that they have to, as part of the assignment, appeal to the other groups and get their buy-in. So in that sense, I'm asking, I'm using the, the carrot of a better grade on the assignment to motivate them to, to think about what it, would be, what it would take to attract those with whom they have some pretty significant disagreements. Um, but that's a work in progress, and I'm still trying to figure that out. Sometimes it goes well, and other times it hasn't gone as well. So the challenge in the project was to, was to kind of take all of this and figure out what it might look like as K-12 curriculum. And I think in, in the early stages of the project, we, our sense was if part of the problem is this whole relational, affective, animosity, um, lack of treating each other as humans, and so on, then the answer can't be just to teach students how many senators we have and how the voting system works, um, or to give them what we think is the right political viewpoint in the classroom. They right. need some. They need to learn some skills and dispositions for behaving in more thoroughly Christian ways towards other human beings. And so, part of the point of the project was to try to turn all of this into curriculum. And what one whole section of the of the project is about the, the topic that that we've sort of tapped you for is humans. How do students? Think about human beings. What what do you hope schools are going to take away from from either this part of the project or the project as a whole, having having worked on it for several years? Well, I hope that they'll hope that they'll take a look at at the curriculum. Um, I think it's quite good, and and I think that you know one of the great virtues of our partnering together was drawing from different disciplines, and having both professors and classroom teachers working together uh, as colleagues on this. 
Um, but as good as the curriculum is, I hope, hope it's also a conversation starter and will be something that will, will be built upon. Um, our approach was looking at, in particular at, at the American system. But as, as you've talked about and we learned in other contexts, other places are also finding that the lessons are applicable uh, in other places as well. And so my hope is that um, principals and teachers and even parents uh, will see this as an opportunity to think about what, is it, what does it look like for us as Christians, um, not just to learn about, right, not just to know what the, the car manual says. No one learns how to drive by reading the car manual just by itself, right, but by doing these things. And so as you mentioned, many of the lessons have exercises in which students will be practicing this. Um, and, I mean, to, to, to dream big, my hope is we'll see uh, a revitalization of Christian witness in the public square with these students who have been practicing what it means like to be you know, authentically and joy-filled Christians while also fantastic neighbors to, um, to folks who don't share their convictions, right? How do we do both those things? And sometimes Christians will, will err on one side or the other. We're just going to do our thing or be our little light in the hill and, and we'll just concentrate on being Christians and others are so into outreach they might neglect that to some. We, we think that they both need each other, both sides. Yeah, it's, it's been a pleasant surprise to me. I, I, I thought when we came into this project that of all of the curriculum projects we've done, this would be the one that was America-specific, right? Because civics is, you know, it's tied into a location and a system. Uh, and in a sense, you've got to learn how things work in the polity that you're, you're part of. But when I've showed it to educators in other countries who've looked at the possibility of adapting it, their, their feedback has been there's actually not an enormous amount they would need to change for it to work in their, their context, right? There's a couple of lessons in there that they'd need to skip or adapt or whatever, but um, it seems to tap into something much more broader, and I think that's related to what you're talking about here. It's, it's, it's not just how does the voting system works. It's this basic, how do you be a human being when the human beings down the road are going to remain stubbornly different from you for the foreseeable future. Right. Um, so, um, so this is just one way that the Henry Institute works on all of this. What, what's the Henry Institute got coming up in the, uh, in the near future? Sure. Well, speaking of other countries in the American system, um, we've been involved with a, a Catholic university in Ukraine um, in Lviv, and we uh, did a 10-episode a, a series on American government, not telling them this is how you need to do it, but, but responding to their interest as they think about what it looks like uh, to cultivate a real constitutional democracy while being at war. Um, so that's that's one of the projects I've been excited about. Um, we've also done some things with Calvin's Prisoner Initiative. Um, we are uh, bringing in some students this next year who will study a reform thought and then partner with um, some, some of their fellow students who happen to be incarcerated. And that dynamic and interplay between those two groups of students I'm really excited about. We do a number of things for students. We sponsor research. We'll have um, speakers come in, local politicians like our representative here, uh, Hillary Scolton, came in in the fall and talked about her faith. Um, we'll host a conference next uh, next spring in which we'll invite all sorts of different talks and, and folks looking at this sort of um, interplay between faith and politics. Um, so, uh, we, so I guess it's, to put it uh, more succinctly, we offer programs for students we put on events both for, for Calvin and then we, we sometimes travel with those events and then we try and um, sponsor different research that would speak to this question. So if uh, for any anyone listening, any educator who's interested in faith and politics who wants to find Henry Institute resources, wants to come to an event, where would they, where would they find you? Uh, so just come to the Calvin website, uh, calvin.edu, and if you put in Henry Institute into the search bar, it'll show up with our website and you can see our archives. We have... Um, a lot of recording going back into the late 1990s, uh, several senators, um, Representative John Lewis, uh, lots of uh, talks and things like that. 
as well as links to not only this initiative that we partnered with the Kairos Institute, but other, um, other scholarship, other opportunities and events that we have coming up. We'd love to, love to see you. Well, thank you, for, uh, thank you for coming and talking to us about this. Um, Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, over the coming months, I'm going to have some conversations with other people who were part of this project so we can tease out different parts of it. Um, Matt Kaming, who was our resident theologian, uh, to think a little more about the theological side of this. Um, some of the teachers who were involved in, uh, in, in crafting the lesson plans so we can think about this in the classroom. But I uh, appreciate the chance to put this against a little bit of a political, political science background and, uh, and Henry Institute's work. And it's been good for us to be able to partner like this and do stuff across more than one institute. If you're interested in the project, you can find it at uh, civichospitality.com. And uh, you'll find there a whole collection of lesson plans for K-12 schools and some background information, um, resources for thinking about civic engagement through a lens of Christian hospitality. You've been listening to the Faith in Teaching podcast from the Kaiser Institute for Christian Teaching and Learning at Calvin University. Learn more at www.pedagogy.net.